Sam. Oh, hey, Bev. What you drinking over there? I'm drinking a Rheingeist Slangria, which is an ale with apple, pomegranate, blueberry, and lime. Ooh. What you drinking over there? So today I have a Blake's Hard Cider Company Flannel Mouth. Mmm. And it's a bl- like a five apple blend. So it's very apple <laughs> I like how we both went very fruity. We did. I felt like based on our topic for today, I needed to do something that is clearly from a farm. And that was fruity. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. Good call. I'm still just cleaning my beer fridge out. And I saw it and I was like, this works. <laughs> yes. And welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. This is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for the farming community. From hobby farmers to large-scale real deal farmers. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. We keep it real with you and share the mistakes we've made and the new knowledge we gain, so hopefully you don't feel so alone in this farm thing. And sometimes we go off on non-farming related tangents or just talk too much in general. So we cut that and stick it up on our Patreon for our Patreon peeps. And this episode's outtakes are exclusively for our Patreon peeps. So go to patreon.com slash drink and farm and become a Patreon peep if you are not already. Yes, and speaking of the Patreon, our drinks this episode are sponsored by our drink peep at Honey Creek Homestead over on the Instagram. So cheers, lady. Cheers. All right, so I'm so excited about today's episode because we're going to talk about something that I always try to be really good at and sometimes (laughs) I fail at and sometimes I do happy dances about and that is gardening. Yes, today we are going to play back playback is that the right thing to say we're gonna let you listen to an interview (laughs) how about that yes that we did with simple goodness sisters which we have done a mini sode with them before so we will put a link in the show notes to that if you haven't learned that but they are two lovely ladies from the state of washington who have their own business and make simple syrups that we are obsessed with yes and one of the things that makes their simple syrup so amazing is that they have this farm to glass concept. So they actually grow a lot of the ingredients for their simple syrups themselves. So that's why we thought they'd be the perfect people to talk to about starting a garden. Because let's face it, that's a thing right now. Everyone's thinking about it. Everyone's at home. Some people are looking for something to do. Some people are just looking for more food security. So we're like, what's a practical way we can actually help people with this thing that they want to do? And we're like, Talk to people who do it really well. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And as somebody that has like barely grown things, especially from seeds, this is a very valuable information of some things that, you know, will prevent you from making some mistakes. So I'm very grateful and excited that they decided to take the time out of, you know, pandemic panic to talk to us (laughs) pandemic panic that is exactly what is happening around us you may remember satanic panic this is a little different folks (laughs) yeah just a little just a tiny (laughs) well we'll go ahead and just cut to that interview right now so you can hear it 
So thank you so much for joining us. We have Venice and Belinda from Simple Goodness Sisters. And we're going to get started by asking you guys what you're drinking. Does Belinda want to go first? Because you're the mixologist. So I'm like super, super curious. (laughs) Sure. Actually, it's kind of funny because this is definitely not a craft cocktail that I'm drinking. This is much more of a we um, have limited resources in the house right now. So I put together a really tasty brunch cocktail, which is what I had. So it's just um, about three, four ounces of orange juice, um, a little bit of coconut LaCroix, which is really key here. In a second, I'll tell you why. About a half ounce of our rhubarb vanilla simple syrup um, from Simple Goodness Sisters, and then an ounce of light rum. And so it's this really like tropical, brunchy tasting drink um, when you don't want a mimosa, but you want something like fairly light and, you know, easy to start the morning off with since it's like 11 a.m. Um, <laughs> and the coconut LaCroix is really key. It like the vanilla in our syrup and the coconut in the sparkling water are so good. And you don't need very much of that because you don't want it to get too watered down. Watered down cocktails are like probably the biggest mistake people make. Um, but a little splash of that just like changes the whole thing and transports you. And I need a little bit of like a brain transportation right now to a tropical place you know it's that time of year and it's getting really gross and wet and just soggy in the pacific northwest and i need to pretend that i'm somewhere else (laughs) that sounds delicious by the way (laughs) thank you yeah it's good (laughs) and i think we can call it a quarantini since you had to like get it from like you know random ingredients pantry stuff yeah (laughs) totally venice what are you drinking over there Today I am drinking kind of my go-to because when um, we got the, the oh, I guess, stay home order, I went out and bought a giant bag of grapefruits. Um, and so I have been drinking <laughs> Greyhounds, which is my all-time favorite drink um, and has been since I started drinking. Um, and so it's literally just grapefruit, fresh squeezed grapefruit juice. I use half of one. Um, with a little bit of our rhubarb vanilla bean syrup. Usually I use lemon herb, but I had rhubarb vanilla bean open, so I grabbed that and used it. And a little bit of gin, or a shot of gin actually, to be exact. And then uh, I just topped it with a little bit of mineral water, sparkling mineral water. And it's lovely, even at 11. It's like breakfast, basically. I had bacon (laughs) and a greyhound. That is a retiree breakfast right there. (laughs) I love that you're both drinking the rhubarb vanilla bean syrup because that's one of my favorite flavors that you guys have. And in fact, my husband's been making me old fashions with it. That's one of my favorites too. It's just not um, a drink that I was ready for at 11 a.m., but I love those so much. I'm a bourbon gal in general, and I think our rhubarb vanilla old fashions are like incomparable. Like I just, anytime I go to a restaurant and order an old fashioned, I wish that I brought syrup with me. That's good to know that that's a thing because when my husband decided to do that, because we didn't have any plain simple syrup, but we had some of the rhubarb vanilla, I was like, yeah, rhubarb, vanilla, bourbon, that sounds like it goes together, right? 
He's yeah, like, no, yeah, let's does. do it. <laughs> like tasting notes wise on bourbons, you're going to have a lot of like butterscotchy, um, little bit of like smoky, and then that like very like vanilla, caramel, like burnt sugar kind of flavors in bourbon. That's the profile you're going for. So if you think about it in that terms, it makes total sense that it would pair with something with vanilla in it. The rhubarb is a little bit unexpected, but in an old fashioned, one of the key components is that the bitter and the citrus normally you use like a Peychaud's bitters or any kind of bitters and then you use a little bit of a orange twist usually and so the rhubarb is getting it that little bit of like sour bitter component at the same time so you don't even need as much of the like you don't even need a twist really when you make it that way but I still put one in because it looks pretty and you are not the only wife who has been like my husband keeps stealing all of my um rhubarb vanilla bean for his old fashions. (laughs) (laughs) Good to know. (laughs) We get that a lot. (laughs) So we have had Venice from Simple Goodness Sisters on the podcast before. So if anyone wants to get caught up on that, there'll be a link in the show notes. And that is mini-sode number 14, and it's called Drink and Simple Goodness Sisters. But can uh, one of you just... Uh, briefly recap, you know, like who you are and what you guys do, um, because I just really love your story. And obviously, I love your simple syrups because I use them and I have them in my house all the time. So, <laughs> yeah. So Simple Goodness Sisters is collaboration between Venice, who's a farmer, and myself, who's a bartender. And what we did is take our farm fresh produce, our really um, yummy garden stuff, and we brought it to the glass. So ours are the only simple syrups um, on the market in America that are actually all garden to glass, where we're growing something that goes into every flavor, and then everything else is really carefully sourced from family farms that are local to us in the Pacific Northwest. Or um, like our vanilla comes from a female small family farm in Mexico with really sustainable growing practices. So it's not an all organic brand, but it is a brand that's really careful about um, where the food comes from because farming is important to us since Venice is a farmer. So we call it happier hour and it's really about having a drink mixer that you can trust because there's no preservatives, no chemicals, no dyes, um, and it's sourced in a way that is actually trying to help bolster small American farm um, communities in the the country. And it's delicious. (laughs) So the thing, the goal with it is that you can use really minimal ingredients to make a really tasty craft quality cocktail that you might pay $15 for at a bar is now going to cost you less than a dollar a serving when you make it at home. That's so awesome. And that's one of the reasons why we're talking to you guys today, because our main topic, while we love cocktails and especially craft cocktails and garden to glass stuff, um, but we're going to be talking about gardening today and how to kind of get started and maybe talk through some of those things that you may not think of when you're starting your garden. Because like, as we all know, there's a pandemic happening. So there's a lot of new gardeners coming into the realm. Yeah, it's awesome. And I think that might be an understatement. (laughs) Yeah. All the seed companies keep sending me emails that are like, hey, it's going to take a while. We're getting to it, but it's going to take a while. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I didn't even, it didn't occur to me that like seeds would get sold out because I went to order stuff that I realized I had forgotten to order and my favorite places were closed. They're like, sorry, we're out of seeds. I was like, what? (laughs) 
Yeah, me too. It was like I was talking to the feed store near us and it was like first it was toilet paper and then it was bread and then it was like chicken feed and seeds. (laughs) Everyone's a homesteader now. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, I order my seeds in January when again, it's like really crappy here and you just need that thing to look forward to. That's when I, you know, that's when the Baker Creek heirloom catalog comes out. That's when I start getting excited. So I order most of my seeds then. But of course, there's like those little things that you forget, you know, like I assumed that I had a bunch of sugar snap peas left still from last year. And then when I actually went and checked, I didn't. And so I tried to order them and it was not good. But we do have some nurseries that we found around us that are still, that are have everything in stock. And so whenever people ask us, um, which is a cool thing that's kind of spun off of what we do is that people have asked us a lot about the farming process and have become interested in how we do our gardening and what garden glass is. And so we've really been guiding people a lot more than usual on how to do that, like on our social media and on our blogs and stuff. And so it's nice that we have a resource to send them to that still has stuff available. That's good. Yeah, a lot of stuff locally for me has still been available too. Just been really cutting down on my trips out. So I only go into a store to get something like if I already absolutely had to go for something else, which is really hard, especially when you want to get started like on your garden now. (laughs) Yeah. When we knew that we were getting the stay home order, um, when we knew that was kind of coming down the pipe, there were rumors and stuff. I did two things. I went to the library and I got like six books checked out. And then I went to the hardware store and I bought all of my soil and my compost and my new like seed starting trays because I was like, I'm going to need something to do. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's where a lot of people are. It's like, even if I don't grow food, it's literally something to do that's at home. Um, that I've always wanted to do and try, and now I have the time. <laughs> totally. Yeah, for sure. So uh, do both of you garden, or does just Venice? because Venice is the farmer? Yeah, I actually have to say this before she says anything. <laughs> the sister thing, right? But I gardened first. Um, we're not competitive at all. But <laughs> I had this like fantasy of being like an old Southern woman who grows tomatoes because I'm obsessed with the movie Steel Magnolias. And so I was like, I'm going to start a garden. I'm going to grow things. Venice at the time um, had like her little farm started, but it was all about animals. And so she was raising mini goats. Um Nigerian dwarf goats and so that was like her thing and she wasn't really growing plants yet and so I built my first raised bed garden at the first home my husband and I moved into and I did like everything wrong like the big joke is that I thought I was doing so well I was so proud of myself and I had a family event and my aunt who um, was like a berry farmer for like you know 25 years like a big berry farmer she came over and she's like hey Belinda your tomato cages are upside down and I was like oh that's embarrassing and it was way too late to change it because like leaves were everywhere and I also had no idea how to like pinch off leaves so that you would get more fruit like so she came and walked through my garden with me and helped me but um I did it first but now Venice does it on a much larger scale and I still just have you know like my little kitchen garden in my yard and I'll use it to test out some plants sometimes and then if we like them and we end up finding them useful for you know our purposes then we'll grow a lot more of them the following year in Venice's farm. That's so awesome. Yeah, Venice, how was your first year gardening? Because I have a feeling that mine is going to end up being pretty similar to Belinda's where I feel like I did like some really silly things. (laughs) Yep, it happens. (laughs) Belinda might have been first, but I definitely live under the philosophy of go big or go home. So uh, mine was bigger. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And but I also knew that 
like taking on a garden honestly was really um, overwhelming to me. And so, and I just had this vision of me going big and having all these plants and not knowing what the heck I was doing. And so when we bought, we went from uh, one acre to 10 acres and we're still on the 10 acres now. And so when we bought the 10 acres, I knew like you can't have a farm and not grow something. And so I was like, okay, I want to grow something. And um, I literally Googled what to grow on small acreage that's the most profitable and garlic kept coming up and so when I started I only grew garlic I grew like a half an acre of garlic and it was like I'm gonna do one thing and just do it really really well and like become an expert in that one thing because that I can like wrap my head around um but if I try to figure out like how to grow cucumbers and squash and tomatoes all at the same time I'm gonna get overwhelmed and it's gonna be horrible um and I'm really glad I did because I like a lot of what you learn when you're growing one crop can obviously go to a bunch of different other crops. So it's all about like soil health and watering and setting up your irrigation and all of that. Garlic's a little bit weird because it's a fall crop. So you plant it in the fall, um, which ends up working really well. But so I did that for like three years and just got really good at growing garlic. And then it was like after three years, um, I was finally ready to like, take on new challenges so I felt like I had figured out because again like we're on bigger acreage so we had to figure out like how we're gonna till everything and how we're gonna like weed on a bigger scale and so it was also like that opportunity to learn how to scale um, but only scale one crop and so uh, then Belinda came to me and her little garden uh, she had kind of outgrown and she um, at the time she she also Belinda also has uh, another company where she does uh, bartending catering and she owns um, a, the cutest little vintage camper uh, trailer that she goes around and um, bartends and so she needed all of her drinks are like absolutely lovely and so she does like edible flowers and fresh garnishes and so she needed a source for that and so and um, we started talking about what do you need and so slowly I started to grow what we now call our cocktail farm so everything that we grow on the farm now um, is designed and planted with the idea that it will go that it could go into a drink um, which I think is unique and now we're actually starting we're going to open our first brick and mortar. And so now we're also like, this is a challenging year for me because I'm also trying to think about how much can I grow for actual food for a cafe. And so, um, so I'm getting more into kind of my discomfort zone of having a lot of different crops and trying to manage all of those on a commercial scale. How long have you guys uh, been planting the crops for your syrups and cocktails like how many years has it been um for the cocktails it's been about three years so this is our okay. third yeah season so not a ton of time um and it's again mostly herbs and edible flowers um and then I also do I grow my own garden that's for my own family so something that I, I don't ever intend to sell but um, we have a root cellar here on the farm, and so I do try to grow quite a big amount of storage crops um, because that can feed us through the winter, um, and it gives us fresh produce uh, even when nothing is growing. And then I also grow like a lot of tomatoes because Belinda and I will have 
one weekend where we get together and we process everything so that we can freeze it or can it and um, eat that all winter too. Oh my gosh, it's so much more fun to freeze and can when you have someone fun to do it with. That's always been my biggest hurdle to actually saving anything that I grow in my garden. I'll harvest it all and I'll be on the counter and I'm like, yay, I have all this food. And I'm like, I have to chop and prepare all of this by myself. And this sucks. (laughs) Totally. We get people every year who are like really jealous of our party, our little like processing parties. And everyone's like, will you invite me? Like, can I help? And then like take home some food and like, or even just learn from you. So that's something that we've talked about doing in our brick and mortar in the future possibly is like, people who want to learn and are, you know, interested in the process. Like we want people to get into this because it's been so rewarding for us and it's kind of like a lost art, you know, so being able to teach people those skills, but also do it in an environment where it becomes fun again and isn't like a chore, I think is, is something that is cool and interesting to us. Oh yeah, for sure. And you guys have come a long way in three years because I have been gardening here for three years and I garden for several years in Arizona and I suck at it. (laughs) Well, make no mistake, like there are still things that I'm like, that didn't work and I pull out the entire crop. Like I do that. I do that with one thing probably every year. Okay. So it's not just me. So I'm not alone because I have been experimenting and getting better, but I think I was like Belinda, like I started it and I was like, I'm going to plant all the things. (laughs) And I'm like, wait, I don't know how to plant anything. Why is this stuff all falling over all of this? This is choking that out. And why are there so many weeds? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and then sometimes you'll plant something and you realize, I just don't really like this thing. Like, why did I grow this? I don't, I'm not going to eat it to the, to the extent that like the amount of crop that it produces, I'm not actually going to like harvest and use all of that, you know? And so then it's just, my garden is small garden. So I think of everything in terms of real estate. Like, are you, are you paying your rent in this little corner? If not, like out you go. And then you figure out something else to grow. That's a great way to think of it. Yeah. I think last year I planted like 10 jalapeno plants. I'm like, what am I going to do with all these? And then I discovered cowboy candy and I really love cowboy candy, but I'm probably only going to plant like a handful of those this year because I really didn't eat that much of it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Mine was tomatillos. I love green salsa and I make green salsa every year and freeze a bunch of it um, or and I'll make it like as like a sauce so that you can just like simmer pork in it. And it's like that chili verde dish at Mexican restaurants. Um, but I grew way too many tomatillos last year and then I planted them too late so they weren't even really like harvestable because our season was way shorter than it usually is last year so things like that happen all the time and you just it's why gardening stays interesting to me because I like a challenge and so you can learn something new every year that's awesome Sam have you done any type of gardening I know you've done a little bit not really like I'm feeling very inexperienced right now listening to you guys because it sounds like you guys have at least failed forward or failed fast and recovered in some way and like I'm really good at growing weeds and maybe tomatoes and containers (laughs) and herb plants that were already like pretty mature that I bought from Walmart and stuck in some hanging baskets so not that there's anything wrong with that but I have like 
zero experience in comparison to what I'm hearing. So Bev's over here like, I suck at gardening. And I'm like, <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> I, I really admire her and her gardening and how much she's progressed. So I think she's been a little hard on herself there. <laughs> well, one thing that you said I think is really interesting. You said like you failed fast. There's literally no such thing as failing fast in gardening. And that's kind of what I like about it is you get one season, right? Like, everyone gets the same amount of time to grow. A tomato plant takes 60 days to grow. And like, you either did it or you didn't. And then you just like write down a little note for yourself and you're like, okay, next year I need to plant that a little differently. It's like a great equalizer. Oh yeah, for sure. And in fact, Sam, I was going to tell you, you grew tomatoes in pots. Like I have not been successful at that. I've tried it every year because I always think, how nice would it be to just like grab a few cherry tomatoes off of this pot that's by the door when I'm getting ready to make a salad for dinner? Nope. For some reason, those things just like always shrivel up and die in the pot. It's probably because I didn't water it or I didn't fertilize it. But I completely agree with you on that one. Well, I have the problem where like my chickens come and steal the cherry tomatoes right off the vine. My dog. There's that too. (laughs) They're better at harvesting than I am. (laughs) So how do you guys get your seeds started when you're starting a new uh, season? Because I know that that's honestly like I feel like the seed starting once I figured that out a little bit, then I feel like my garden like really took off after that. But it took like a couple of years to really like get a process down for myself. So how do you guys do it over there? Uh, yeah, so we have a tiny little greenhouse. I, not, I mean, you can walk into it, um, but it's not very big. And honestly, it's uh, covered in, I need to clean it because it's covered in like algae. So I don't even know how much sun actually comes in there, but that is how we start our seeds. Um, and we, what changed Our whole seed starting adventure was getting heat mats. And it's an investment um, because they're a little bit expensive and you're like, do I really need these? Um, But as soon as I got heat mats, my whole world changed in terms of starting seeds. So last year was our first year with heat mats. In addition, um, I bought these grow lights and um, I went on Craigslist and I'm fairly certain I bought them from somebody who is growing marijuana. (laughs) Um, So it was a really (laughs) interesting (laughs) Craigslist transaction, (laughs) Um, which is actually legal here. And so, (laughs) but it was just odd. But I got two great grow lights um, for really cheap off of Craigslist. And those have helped a ton in my um, greenhouse that doesn't get as much sun as it probably should. Um, And then... Uh, I go to all of the nurseries around us, and I get um, all of the little pots, the plastic pots that they throw away or try to recycle, Um, and I also invested in trays that hold the water underneath so that the roots reach down and try to get that water, and that system for me is working really, really well. It worked last year um, really well for me, and this year I'm actually thinking that I need two new lights and two new heat mats so that I can put everything on um, heat mats. So, but I only have two heat mats. So it's not like I have a ton and as soon as everything germinates and I move it off of that heat mat and rotate it in. So you don't have to have a lot of them, but for me, it was definitely worth the investment. Yeah, I think heat mats is the thing I'm missing in my seed starting um, adventure. I figured out that the watering from the bottom definitely helps when I water seedlings like from the top. I feel like I either like 
manhandled them too much so they got like all mangled and then they like couldn't recover because they were just too tiny or um they just ended up like with some sort of rot probably because like they got water on the leaves and they shouldn't have had it on them (laughs) yeah I think another thing people do wrong is you get those seed starting trays that have the covers on top of them you know and it's like a little mini greenhouse effect got like a plastic cover over the top that you set on there I've seen people leave that cover on for way too long and so the cover is to like create that greenhouse effect until the seed germinates and starts to pop up and then just take the cover off but a lot of people will keep it on there and I've seen that mistake over and over oh yeah I've done that mistake yeah take it off (laughs) because I have a bunch of those they're like these little tiny I don't know like five by maybe like seven inch little pots with like a trays with like a tiny little greenhouse thing on the top of them and they're so cute and they're like little handheld things um but yeah the plants will grow up and then they like hit the top and then they get like all smashed and then they get too hot and then they're sad they get hot and they get soggy watering underneath is definitely a huge change for me yeah, the other thing that, like you said, with watering on top and your seeds getting, or your tiny little baby plants getting very sad, um, I actually a lot of times will water with a spray bottle, like a mister, like what you use on your hair um, spray bottle just to oh. give it water, but so that it doesn't like topple them all over. Um, and then I water from underneath. And that seems to help a, a lot with like the whole you know, destroying your plants as you're trying to water with like a hose. (laughs) (laughs) Are there any plants that you guys recommend for first year gardeners? Like, are there any that you find to be a little easier than others? Absolutely. (laughs) I think that that is very um, dependent on your zone or like where you're growing for one. Um, So I I would say that, but there's certainly just like easier plants all around. Um, And I think one of those would be like radishes. Um, And what's fun about radishes is that they're like 30 days until they're like full grown. And kids love them, love to plant them because then they can like pull them back up and they have like pretty colors and everything. But radishes are a really easy spring one that, I mean, you do a pretty like the way you seed them, you seed a lot of them at once. Um, But the germination, how many actually grow is very high for radishes. So that's one that I feel like people can feel successful with. Another one like that is peas. And peas are even better for a beginner gardener, I think, because they're um, like when you think about a pea, that's what a pea seed is. Like it looks like a pea. And so it's big. And so it's easy (laughs) to plant. And it's the kind that is planted the way that you think a seed would be planted. You know, like you think, oh, you put it in the ground and then you cover it with dirt and then it grows. And some seeds, you don't actually do that. Like some seeds don't like to be covered at all. Um, And so I think that people don't pay enough attention sometimes to those little details on the back of the seed packet, but a pea grows exactly how you would expect it to. Like you probably grew peas in the second grade in your classroom. And so it's just like a very familiar, easy one and they grow really fast. The only thing you have to remember with peas is after they start to grow, you need to have something for them to climb. So you need to build a little trellis or, you know, put some stakes or something up for them to climb. Or just grow bush peas, which is actually all I'm growing this year. So I don't want to make a bunch of trellises and I'm growing more peas than I ever have grown in the past. And so I picked all bush peas varieties this year. Another way to do it really easy. This is a grandma Nancy, our grandma trick. Um, 
old people know the best tricks when it comes to gardening because everyone used to actually do it, right? So like ask your grandma what to do. Um, But if you plant along a fence line peas and then you actually like put like a nail or a stake or something into the ground and then you tie a little string to that and then you run that string like vertically up the fence line and then again you put a nail into the fence and tie the string around it. So you've got this like tight taut string like a guitar string or something would be and then it I mean it costs next to nothing you probably have those supplies at your house and the peas will really happily grow up that string I walked into my grandma's backyard last year saw her doing that and I was like wow that's that's genius I mean here we are millennial gardeners like going out and buying our fancy trellises to like have these like designer gardens and grandma's just like you just need some string (laughs) string and a nail Oh, I love that. And you know, so I did, uh, what were they? They were vining um, green beans last year. And then my neighbor was like, don't waste vining space on green beans. Just get some bush green beans. And I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah, green beans grow on bushes too. So I had no idea that peas would grow on a bush. And I totally agree. The bushes produce more, um, like more produce to harvest than the vines did and they took up way less space and they were so easy and way like hardier I don't know I feel like when I would like harvest from the vines I'd end up like ripping out half of them on accident while I was trying to like carefully pull them off but like the bushes just like had these really nice like hardy stems and like branches and stuff yes the only thing I think that's a benefit of a, a like a trellised pea for kids or for in general is for kids because kids can see them easier versus having to like hunt for them in a bush. Um, They can just kind of like hang. And so that has been a really good way for us to keep our kids interested in gardening is peace. They're like easy to grow, easy to harvest. They like to snack on them. We like to snack on them. That's a really good one to do with kids too. If somebody's trying to start a garden with their kid. Oh, I like that. (laughs) The other ones that I would say are like, obviously I'm an herb farmer. So any herb, um, like you said, like even if you just go and you get one from the store and then you just let it get big, um, you can usually harvest year round. Like you don't want to harvest obviously heavy in the winter, but you can certainly use it or you can harvest heavy in the um, fall and then dry everything. So I just pruned a bunch of my thyme, for example, and then I dried it and now I have a bunch of dried thyme that I can use whenever. And so I think thyme, especially for folks who have not a ton of space and dedicated to gardening, thyme is a really good one. And then any kind of like zucchini or squash in our area, like you don't even hardly have to water it. Um, And it just grows. Like, I have a lot of volunteer pumpkins that grow from um, feeding them to the cows. (laughs) And so, and I don't do anything, right? Like, they just grow in the pasture. So, that's pretty low maintenance right there. Um, And zucchini. The best kind of plants. Yes, I love those. Are like, yes, what? And it's like always some cross that that is one thing is that like it's going to be probably some sort of a cross because they do like to cross pollinate so I had like pumpkins that were I'm pretty sure a cross between a spaghetti squash and a pumpkin um but they carved (laughs) nice and my kids didn't care so (laughs) they worked right (laughs) yeah (laughs) what about you guys Um, So I always had really great success with um, Swiss chard and kale, of all things. 
And in fact, like when I gardened in Arizona, it was super weird. I could not grow peppers and tomatoes in Arizona. But now that I'm a little more experienced at gardening, I think it was a soil issue and like a fertilizing issue that I had. But even in like the poorest soil and under the worst conditions, I could usually get like kale, Swiss chard and beets to grow. And of course, radishes. Radishes are always really easy. But I always had a hard time figuring out what to do with too many radishes besides snacking on them and throwing them in salads. Um, but then somebody showed me how to saute them with like butter. And they're so good that way. And you just like you can throw like sausage or other stuff in there and just like make like a cool little radish stir fry. So so French. Yeah. Oh, it is really French. I didn't think of that. <laughs> I also just dip them cold in like really good, like high fat content butter and salt. Mm. That's like a French delicacy. I didn't know that. What about so that's interesting too about the greens you said because I was in Greece this last year for my cousin's wedding and they were growing um, like rocket greens or like arugula is like the only thing that they can get to grow on um, the islands there because it's super volcanic like poor like not nutritious or like fertilized soil and so that makes total sense that you said that about the greens and I think that's probably why in hindsight like actually my greens don't do super well always but I'm planting them the same way I'm planting my tomatoes and peppers which is with a lot of compost added and maybe that's why they actually prefer to not have it oh that would make sense and yeah I totally forgot to talk about arugula arugula is my spirit lettuce (laughs) and that's always been the thing that I've been able to (laughs) yeah I am planting a bunch of arugula too, and I love it. And I had this arugula pesto for the first time from a Mm. farmer, and it was the most amazing, lovely thing because I love all things spicy. And so it was like a mix with basil, and then she threw in arugula, and it was so good. Oh, I love it. Are there any plants that you guys recommend um, specifically for people who want to garden in containers uh, as like their primary gardening space? Yes, mint. <laughs> you should only grow oh, yeah. mint in a container. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything that spreads, mint, lemon balm, wild strawberries, those will go crazy in your garden. Um, also, like some greens do that, like, or maybe... Maybe it's just because I'm not seeding them well, and so I'm dropping seeds outside. I don't know. I've noticed that, like, certain ones of my greens, especially, like, stir-fry mixes or some, like, salad mixes, will start growing outside of my container garden. And I'm like, are you spreading, or did I just drop seeds there? I don't know. But I know that lettuce will grow really well in containers for us here. And so will anything. If you're in a colder area like we will, heat-loving plants grow well in a container because it's like a little microclimate, right? That that pot of soil oh, is yeah. warmer than it would be if it was like in a full garden bed. And so tomatoes, tomatillos, peppers, potatoes, those things in the Northwest grow really well in a container. But you have to water them, like you said. It's hard to remember to water them. Yeah. <laughs> I grow all my chives in a container. Also, anything that you think that you might want to bring in and try to get to keep growing through the winter. So there's a lot of herbs like rosemary and um, and well, your mint and your tarragon. You can keep going a little bit longer if you pull it in. So um, sage, 
time. So all of those, I would say, if you want, throw it in a container because then if you do have a space, even if it's a garage or something, you can keep it going a little bit longer because as long as it doesn't freeze, it'll it'll keep producing. Um, and so I like to grow herbs in containers, although I don't because I have a lot of them. Um, but if I was only doing a couple, also <laughs> I would probably do tomatoes. I also really like a lot of people um, are interestingly comfortable with ornamentals. They're like, yeah, I gr- I like buy my hanging baskets every year. Um, and so sometimes what I will do is if when I'm making my hanging baskets, I'll throw like some mint in there or something that's edible um, in with my ornamentals um, because it's still pretty. Uh, but then it's also useful and I am very practical. And so if I'm going to spend the time watering something um, and taking care of it, then I also want it to give back in some way, shape or form and not just in beauty. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. And we do cocktails. Like a lot of what we're thinking about is cocktails. So like mint is one that I always recommend because like you can always take a sprig of it and make a mojito. Like that's easy, right? And everyone loves the mojito in summer. And so it's something practical and you feel like, oh, I grew this and I'm drinking it now. <laughs> Another thing that I just learned this year is that fennel shouldn't be planted near anything else in your garden. And I love fennel. I love to like roast it in like winter, um, like roasting pan dishes where you'll do like all kinds of root vegetables. And I also like to dry it and um, use it as an herb in my kitchen. And so fennel, it apparently is like really bad to plant near other plants. It'll um, inhibit their growth. So you actually want to make sure that you plant fennel in a container, a small container on its own. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, me neither. That's crazy. <laughs> I had to move mine. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what do you guys use for your garden soil? And do you uh, add any amendments to that to it or anything or is that just like dirt in the backyard and everything grows and it's magic yay so we um in our in my raised beds we do a mix of just regular old soil um and then we add a product and it's called there's a bunch of different brand names for it, but um, it's basically digestate. And so it is, we live in an area where there's uh, quite a few dairies. And so it's basically cow manure um, that has been pumped um, and then all of the water has been squeezed out of it and then it has gone through this heat treatment process. Um, And what comes out is this kind of, it's really more of an organic matter and a mulch than it is this. A compost, um, but it adds a lot of organic matter to our uh, gardens, and it also helps soak up all of our moisture. So I'm not watering every day; I'm watering like every two to three days because it really holds that moisture really, really, really well, um, and it keeps my weeds down. So that has been like my saving grace. Uh, we know a dairy locally that um, is actually just gives it to us, which is really, really great. Um, and so we go pick it up and I put it everywhere I possibly can. <laughs> I'm looking up that stuff right now. That is so cool. I had never heard of that. And so that's a really great, I'm sure dairies are always looking for stuff to do with their cow poop, right? Yeah. A lot of them, like we have one dairy that has basically taken it and they, um, 
and they bag it and they market it and they brand it. Um, and so Belinda actually uses it from that dairy. We know a different dairy that they are not doing that with it. A lot of them, what they end up doing with it is turning it into cow bedding. So they can, um, rather than buying shavings or straw, they can use it as cow bedding, which is nice. Um, but they oftentimes have extras and they just, you know, they're friends. And so they don't mind if we go grab some. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I found that fertilizing and like figuring out what the soil needed was one of the harder parts for me. Cause like when I first moved here, someone made fun of me because I had soil trucked in for my raised beds. And they're like, your house is on an old cow farm. Like you don't need to buy soil. And I'm like, no, it's like, it's all clay and like really heavy and everything I planted in it, like ended up with weird fungus and like the roots were stunted because it couldn't get through anything. I'm like, no, I needed to buy some soil (laughs) so that it could actually like have a little bit of success. I get that it's got a lot of nutrients in it, but it's not just all about the nutrients. Like it's also about the makeup of it and like its texture. Is that the word I'm looking for? (laughs) Yes. All of that matters. (laughs) I think that works. Yeah, I have raised beds and I bought potted potting soil to fill with it. And I, you know, I did like a truck bed and then used a wheelbarrow and a shovel and got it all in there. It's one of the reasons I like gardening is it keeps you in shape and right in the time of year when you need to <laughs> maybe be thinking about that. Um, and it's like, I don't really love to do exercise. So it's something that feels <laughs> fun to me, but is also good exercise is like a, a good sneaky way to trick myself. Um so I do that. I just had potting soil in mind. And then I do, like she said, the the um, digestate on top of that. I also do organic fertilizer. Um, I'll add that to certain things that need it. Like you said, tomatoes. I'll do like the little tomato steaks. I'll get like the organic ones of that. Or I do that. Um, it's so stinky and gross. And the container I have to keep it in is nasty. But the fish meal, have you ever used that yeah, as I a fertilizer? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's so it's smelly. It's so gross, but it's <laughs> but so good. great and it works so well. My aunt is actually kind of um, like her big point of pride was that she would just go fishing and bury dead fish in her beds. <laughs> and she always has an amazing <laughs> garden. So she would, she'd just bury a like a fish body, like a few feet down underneath her plants and it would feed it all year, apparently. Oh my gosh, that's a genius idea. I might have to give that a mm-hmm. try. <laughs> then you don't have to have that smelly stuff sitting around in your garage or your shed or whatever. Right. So do either of you guys have any chickens? We just got our, we've had chickens off and on since we've had the farm. Um, and I am still learning about chickens. So the first time I had a bunch of them and they just kind of went everywhere and they were free roaming and... So then, and the eagles basically got them all one by one. And so now we have like a coop and I got four and my daughter is five. And so that we're like breaking back into the chicken world with our four chickens that have a nice coop with a cover over it. And so we've been successful, um, but we only have four. Oh, four is a perfect number for like eggs for a family. I have it really nine is. laying hens. My entire refrigerator is filled with eggs right now, and I have delivered eggs to every neighbor that will take them. <laughs> yeah, we have a family of four, and it's perfect. Like it, we have enough, and then when we start to get, you know, that stockpile, I'm like, okay, it's breakfast for dinner tonight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Do you have any plants that you grow specifically for your chickens now that you have some? 
I don't. We actually also just got pigs. And so um, pigs are another really good one. We get two and we try to get them every spring. Um, And so this is kind of where the homesteading piece uh, comes in because we got chickens and pigs this spring. I mean, it's funny because I I did it and I like I ordered the piglets um, and I and we bought the chickens well before the coronavirus stuff happened. And now I'm just like really thankful that I did. Um, so we buy pigs in the spring, right around April, April, and then we raise them all through summer. Um, and then we butcher in October and we just get two. So it's just enough for our family. Um, and it, and so they, I grow a lot of plants for them in the fact that like, I know I'm going to have extra, um, or I'm going to have waste like tomatoes. Like I cannot always pick all of my tomatoes. And so I throw those to the pigs or to the chickens. Um, and so there is a lot of waste sometimes, or, um, like beet tops, for example, I'll grow beets. I cut the tops off. I cannot go through that many beet tops. And so I throw those to the yeah. you know, the animals <laughs> and, and they love them. Our goats actually love beet tops. I just harvested beets from last year. I finally finished harvesting them. I leave them in the ground and they overwinter, but I had so oh. many that I was like, okay, I have, I have to get rid of these. And so, um, my pigs, didn't love them. They're still pretty young, so I don't think they knew what to do with them. So I dropped them off at a neighbor who has a big pigs, and he said they love them. But I fed all the goat, um, the tops to the goats, and they were like so excited about them. Oh my gosh, I love that. I do the, I give all my animals the leftover produce too. And in fact, the chickens know when I'm going into the garden to harvest because they'll all like walk around the fence line because they know that if I pull a strawberry that's got like a giant hole in it or like a bug or a tomato, I'll just like chuck them over the fence for them. So they're like all running around, like finding the little tomatoes and the strawberries and things that I threw out and they're all excited. That's awesome. So cute. (laughs) My dog does that. I just have a dog. (laughs) (laughs) So what's the weirdest thing that you guys would say that you grow in your gardens? Oh, man. We grow some really weird stuff. (laughs) People are like, why do you grow this? Um, But because everything's centered around cocktails, we're really trying to grow things that are really pretty as garnishes or... Um, you know, obviously there's things that we grow like rhubarb and berries and even cucumber that you're like muddling into a drink or making a juice out of or something like that and making the cocktail directly with that. But we're trying to really like push the bar on what you can do with a garden to glass cocktail. And so we're definitely not stopping there. So like something we grow is a toothache plant. It's also called electric daisy or buzz button. And that's more about having like a, like a full sensory experience in a cocktail. So, um, a cocktail shouldn't just taste good in my opinion. It should really be like something that you're excited to pick up and hold. You're like visually really interested in it and then the taste should be awesome but then there's also this thing in the cocktail world called mouthfeel that's really important and that's about the texture of the drink whether the drink is like silky because it has egg white in it or it's bubbly because it's got champagne floating on it or um, in this case buzz buttons actually have a really interesting mouthfeel because they were um, used in like ancient um, dentistry, especially in China, and they make your whole mouth feel kind of buzzy. It's not really like it's numb. It's like that feeling of tingling and um, almost like you can just feel all of your taste buds, all of those like receptors 
all at once. Um, it's that feeling you get before you go numb and that's what it does to your mouth. And it's crazy and it's fun and people so like fun. have this cr- fun, like weird reaction and you watch them move through it because it takes like three minutes from start to finish. And so you watch people um, kind of like go through that. And so that's a really fun one that we grow. That's very weird, but people have an awesome reaction to it. And it, I don't know, it just turns like a simple drink into so much more than that. It's like a party trick, you know? It's also really fun to grow with kids. Like my daughter, Dayton, loves to prank people with it. So anyone new that comes to the farm, she's like, here, try this. And then she just like thinks she's the coolest human ever. Because <laughs> she knows the secret. Yeah, the plant itself looks really like innocent, right? So it's it looks like just the center of a daisy growing or like a ball chrysanthemum, that tight little like yellow pollen kind of ball. Um, and then it's just got yeah. like these big green leaves and it's so it's pretty and it's ornamental um as well but people take a bite of it and then you're like whoa what is happening (laughs) so it's so funny that you mentioned that as the first one because I was going through my seeds and I realized that I had ordered seeds last year from you guys for my cocktail garden and then I never planted (gasps) it so I was like pulling them out of the pouch and I was like (gasps) Oh, I have these. So I think I'm going to get some seeds started this week, like in growing trays so that I can actually get that that garden planted. And I know I won't get as great of a germination rate because the seeds are a little older, but I've had seeds that I've They'll kept for like fine. three or four years and they've yeah. still managed to grow. <laughs> yeah, I do so that too. So I'm like, yeah, I saw those toothache plants though and I was like, oh, this looks super yeah, cool. Yeah, <laughs> and that's a fun one. You're not going to like prank, prank people on all of them, right? And they produce a ton on one plant. So what I do with the leftovers is is you can actually like infuse it into stuff and then save it. So we're really big on things that we grow being able to not only be used like fresh as a garnish, but like I said, real estate, you got to earn your rent. So what else can we do with you? And so we're hyper frugal. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We like to figure out like, can we dry it and then, um, you know, grind it down and make it into like a salt and sugar rim like we do with our, some of our flowers or are we going to dry it like our calendula petals and then make like a tea out of it? Or with buzz buttons, what we do is infuse it straight into something that doesn't go bad. So you can make like a buzz button syrup, but that's only going to last like four to six weeks in your fridge. Um, So you can infuse it straight into alcohol though, and then it'll last for like nine months in your liquor cabinet. So super fun to take the buzz buttons that you have left over, infuse them into like a bottle of something it's got kind of like a greeny grassy taste so it's not going to be the most delicious shot ever so I would like mix it when you actually do the shots later but then give people a shot with it and that's really fun (laughs) oh I love that my neighbors are gonna get a surprise this year (laughs) it's a fun party trick for sure Christmas gifts you could just do a lot of little bottles Right. (laughs) Another one that's weird that we grow is um, the Mexican sour gherkins or cucamelons. And those, I think people are starting to see them more and more, especially like on social media. They're really popular, but um, they're still a fairly unknown plant and they're very fun. And Venice finally got them to grow on a big scale this last year. Yeah. And I didn't even, I grew maybe like eight of them and they're really great pickled but if you pickle them you don't want to heat process them you want to refrigerate or pickle them um i still have some going and they make like the most amazing bloody mary garnish if you're a bloody mary fan um the little pickled cucumelons they're also like lovely fresh obviously 
Um, or any drink that calls for a pickled uh, garnish. Um, it's a fun one to just, I just refrigerate or pickle them, store them in my fridge, bust them out um, when I'm looking for something a little bit fancy. And uh, those are fun. The trick that I found was find a good seed, a reputable seed. The seed is tricky to find because it's not a super popular variety. Um, And so honestly, the first time, I don't even remember where I bought it, but it was not one of my normal seed companies and I did not get a single um, seed to germinate. And so make sure that you're buying a good seed. And then the other thing is they like heat. So I didn't have any success until I started them indoors on heat mats and then they went crazy and they were super easy. Oh, that's so cool. We basically also just go through the whole edible flower section of like every seed catalog and then just try it once. (laughs) And so I did that last year with safflower. Um, and I, you, you know, like you've seen the oil probably at stores, like you, you press the flower to make the oil and it oh, looks yeah. beautiful in the seed catalog. It's these really bright, pretty bursts of yellow and orange and red. And I was like, oh, that'd be a great cocktail garnish. It was awful. As soon as it grew, I had to pull it out <laughs> because it is so pokey. It is like a freaking weapon, not a garnish. So that had to go. That was a big mistake, but that, that was one of the weirdest things I've ever planted. It was like intentionally planting daggers in your garden. <laughs> Sometimes things look a lot better in seed catalogs yes. than they end up being. That's I so did true. those like oh, yeah. atomic tomatoes. I don't know if you like they Brad's were atomic, uh, Brad's Atomic Red. Yeah, they're super popular from Baker Creek. Yeah, and they're supposed to be like very like rainbowy and like in the picture they're like iridescent. And I grew them and they were fine but they were kind of just a blob of like yellow and like black and a little bit of purple they were not as pretty like they had obviously put a filter on it and again they were fine they were delicious to eat but like also just know that going into it if it doesn't look like what's on the seed catalog that's okay (laughs) as long as you get to eat it that works right You know what's another, this is going way back in the conversation, but another really common mistake I've seen, especially with tomatoes, is people forget what color tomato they grew. I have done this as well. And you grow like a green or a yellow tomato and they're like, dang, these just aren't getting ripe. I I have got to go into people's garden (laughs) and be like, that tomato is finished. That's just a yellow tomato. Like you grew a sun gold and that's what color it's supposed to be. It's not going to turn red. That's really good advice. I've totally done that too. I did that with my yellow pear tomatoes last year. I was like, why aren't these turning red? Yes. And then I like was going through my seeds for something and I was like, oh shoot, those are <laughs> those are supposed to be That's yellow. where labeling is super important. And for me, since I'm a super visual person, after I plant my garden, um, I actually have, I, I draw out a layout and I label my on my layout of my raised beds what got planted where or I will forget. And oftentimes like your steaks that you put in there or something, I don't know, I'm in the garden all the time with my kids. So they're constantly pulling those out. So if I relied on those, Mm -hmm. I would be screwed. I have to have my like master template and I just store it in the same place that I store my seeds. And then it's kind of cool because you can see year after year what you planted where and you can remember to rotate them, you know, because some things need to be rotated so the soil stays healthy. Um, And if maybe something wasn't successful in one area, you can be like, okay, we're not going to plant that again this year. That's been really helpful for me. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I'm so bad at keeping records for my garden. I did finally get a label maker and I use a an embossing 
label maker so that it doesn't get washed off, you know, like in the rain or when I'm watering. So like punches the letters into like the tape and then I can put it on like the little stakes. And so far those have held up okay. But yeah, we'll get like a really big windstorm and I'll go out there and all my like markers will be in like the field. (laughs) I'm like, oops, well, I guess it's a surprise garden. Yeah, surprise gardens are always fun. (laughs) So that's off topic though. What was, what is, I want to hear yours. What's like the weirdest thing you've ever grown? Oh, so the weirdest thing I've ever grown is jelly melon cucumbers. And I cannot remember what their, um, what is their like actual scientific name? Where did you, where, what seed company did you buy? Uh, from MI Gardener. Oh, African horned cucumber? Yeah, they're a horned melon, and their real name is Kiwano. That's what they're called. They're an African horned cucumber. I looked at these this year. Yeah, they're really cool looking. And, like, I never really figured out what exactly to do with them. We just ate them because we have, like, this little, like, family tradition. We used to – we would go to the grocery store and pick up, like, the weirdest fruit we could find and then have it as our dessert for dinner every now and then. And so (laughs) now that we live so far out, we don't get to do that very often. So I've been ordering, like, seeds from things that I think are really weird. And I saw that, and I was like, that's the weirdest plant I've ever seen. It just kind of tasted cucumbery was all. And I grew far too many of them. Like, I think I grew, like, ten of them. And I had, like, bushels of these things. And I was like... And then you're trying to give them away, and people are like, what is that? Yeah, like that is terrifying. I think I ended up composting most of them because like I couldn't even just give them to the animals because they're horned on the outside. <laughs> so like sharp. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so it was like, you know, like giving the goats like knife melons. <laughs> like You planted daggers too. We both planted <laughs> yeah. daggers. That's funny. Pretty much. <laughs> so is there anything else uh, that you would want to tell someone who is going to start a new garden? I definitely want to say um, that... Any time people would talk about this stuff before, I was in the same boat of feeling like really intimidated about it. And you just have to start growing something like pick like three things to grow in your garden for the first time or do a small container like we talked about. Like just learn because everyone's on the same, you know, page or timeline you you know you just get one season and if you don't start your seeds for your first year that's okay too I actually found seed starting really intimidated so at first I just bought starts and planted them in the garden and just being able to nail soil and water and like learning to pinch off and how to harvest that's enough of a skill set I would say for year one so just start small in whatever like your comfort is and then keep adding each year because you'll learn things and you'll develop from there as a gardener but nobody's good at this the first year. Uh, Yeah, I would piggyback on that and say, like Belinda said earlier, if you, when we started growing garlic, we didn't know what we were doing at all. And so we reached out on Facebook. Um, There's a lot of Facebook gardening groups out there and I lean on those a lot. So there's a local one to us here. And there was like this garlic guru that lives in our community. And he came out and he gave us like a totally free, like two hour 101 course on growing garlic and specifically growing garlic in our area and what varieties to grow. And it was like key to my success. So there's a lot of people who have done this and have put years of their lives into learning this skill set. And so if they're willing to share it with you, I would take them up on that. I think most people who garden love to show off their gardens. Um, And so just touring other people's 
is awesome. Also, like, like Belinda said, grow a couple of things. And then after you've like, you're going to have downtime, obviously. And so I would spend some of that downtime while it's growing before you harvest, thinking about all the different ways that you can try to save um, and store your harvest. Because I think a lot of people start gardening and then they stop because they realize that a lot of them are actually very good at it. And then they have so much and it feels like so much work for so much of it to be wasted. And so I think that's kind of like part B of gardening is how do you translate all of that work into food that lasts beyond just the season that you grow it in. And um, if you can nail those two things, then I think you'll be hooked for life. So that's my advice. Yeah, that is good advice. The uh, the thing too is that we are not used to eating seasonally anymore because things are available in grocery stores like year round, right? And so I think that's something people make a mistake on sometimes too is that there are plants that you can harvest kind of continuously throughout the, the growing season throughout the summer. And then there are plants that are only going to give you what you were intending to grow for like two weeks or even sometimes like one week. And so I think that a lot of people will grow those things like, like maybe for instance, like broccoli or cauliflower, it's not going to grow like all year all season long in our area. And so you, if you grow a bunch of broccoli, it's like, okay, great. Now you have like eight pounds of broccoli. (laughs) Like, what are you going to do with it? You know? So if you're not freezing it, if you're not preserving it, you're just getting a bunch of one thing in a short period of time and you're not going to eat it all fresh. And then that thing is not going to continue to give you like broccoli is not going to continue to give you new produce in October. You're, you know, and I think it messes with our heads sometimes that at the grocery store, all these things are available year round to us because they're, you know, shipped in and they're grown in other places. So I think you really have to like learn to think seasonally about like what is actually going to grow here in my area and give me what I'm looking for for my kitchen or your drinks, whichever you're going for. The other thing is plant perennials like your first year because a lot of perennials take time to like grow that root structure so asparagus is a really good example of like it like once you plant it it'll keep coming back for like 50 plus years so like grow that your first year um same with like any berry bushes like raspberries and blueberries and um rhubarb is one where like that that plant will keep giving and it only takes a small amount of maintenance after that first year. So I am lucky because I I have an herb farm and so a lot of herbs are perennials. So once I do the hard work of starting them, then a lot of my maintenance is pretty low key after that. So that's another good one. Yeah, for sure. Oh my gosh, that was all such amazing advice. And if I could just add anything to it, It would be to keep in mind that what works for one person might not work for you because you could live in a totally different climate. And in fact, even from like yard to yard in an area can have totally different growing results. So don't feel like any advice that like one person gives you just because they are someone that lives near you is going to like absolutely work for you. So you definitely need to experiment and learn and grow just like your garden is doing. Absolutely. Totally. I would 
agree with that 100% and just add on that. Um, and if not only if one person's, but one crop doesn't work for you, like there are just crops that I can't grow. And it doesn't matter how great of a gardener I am, my land and my son and everything else, it just doesn't work. Um, and so, but that doesn't mean I have a black thumb. It just means that yeah. my property isn't suited for that crop. Venice and I are a great example. She lives four miles away from me. I think maybe five miles away. And yet we're in an entirely different zone. Our topography, everything is different. So what grows really well on the farm is just not going to be the same in my garden. That's amazing. That's so good to know. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us for this episode. I think this might be like our longest episode ever. <laughs> we are so chatty. <laughs> it's so good. No, like all of this was amazing. So we really appreciate you sharing all of your gardening knowledge with us. And in the show notes, we'll have links to your social media, your blog, where all of your cool cocktail recipes are. And you guys just released a cocktail book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I just actually just got our reorder because we sold out really fast so i'm gonna restock them oh my gosh yeah oh that's so exciting we have one that's more of like a garden how-to of how to grow all of the cocktail the main cocktail crops that we grow and um then how to take them and use them by crafting muddling um and garnishing a drink so it really takes you like, okay, here's what you're growing in your garden. Here's how to put it in your glass. And then we have another one that's just specific cocktail recipes that are all based on, you know, our, our menu. Oh, awesome. So we'll have links to like all of that in the show notes and their social media and all of that stuff. And of course, the episode that we did um, with Venice. Gosh, it's almost been, well, it probably hasn't quite almost been a year, but it feels like it. It feels like it's been a really long March. (laughs) Yeah. 2020 (laughs) alone has lasted three years. (laughs) Right. Thank you so much for having us. This was really fun. Yeah, it was awesome. I'm excited to post this because I'm going to post a blog. Um, I mean, we're doing, uh, and maybe that's a good thing to note also, is that we're doing a weekly happy hour in the garden. So we're doing it live on Instagram. um, And they're Fridays at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, and so you can tune in and like the first week we just went over seed starting and then the second week we went over how we do our raised beds and how we water um, and we were actually, Belinda was at her house so she, you could see her town um, garden versus my farm garden. And so, and then this week we have a guest um, that we're going to go live with and she has a nursery. She's another amazing female um entrepreneur and she has a nursery that's local to us and so she's going to show us how to do some more container gardening which is not something we do a ton of so I'm really excited about that because that is something that she's like an absolute expert in so we called the big guns for this one so oh that's awesome so thank you both so much for joining us it was so fun to get caught up and um to to learn from you I know I learned a lot about how to get started and maybe some things not to do, like letting your mint run rampant, unless you're into that sort of thing. (laughs) Um, So thank you for your time. And we really appreciate it and look forward to continuing to Instagram stalk you and all the fun things you guys are doing. (laughs) It was so much fun to be here. Thank you guys. We could talk about this stuff for hours. And it's so fun to, to talk with other people who are you know, interested and excited about the same things. 
Yeah, we're so excited that everyone, there's like this new refreshed energy in the garden and we're happy to help in whatever we can, in whatever way we can. Um, so connect with us. There's a bunch of different ways you can do that. And we look forward to continuing the conversation and helping people out. Well, that was, I mean, I'm not allowed to play favorites with interviews, let's face it. But I just, I had a really great time with this interview. They are just so fun, and I really wish there wasn't a pandemic happening right now so we could just go visit them and drink beautiful cocktails with them and just enjoy their company. Because that's what it (laughs) felt like, right? We were sitting there drinking our beverages and just having really great conversations about things that we're interested in. Yes, that is exactly how I feel right now. So we'll have links to all of their stuff in the show notes um, so you can find all of their awesome, amazing things. And we hope that you guys really enjoyed that episode um, like we did. And if you have any additional gardening questions or anything else you want to chat about garden-wise, go ahead and post it in our Facebook group and we can continue the conversation. All right, so before we go, we're going to still do our can't evens. Uh, So, Bev, what can't you even about this week? So my can't even this week is that pygmy goats who wait excitedly every morning for visitors who never come get some much-needed love from zookeepers. And it's just this really adorable article about these uh, goats that live at a zoo and they're used to being, you know, like petted and loved on by everybody visiting the zoo. But because it's closed, thanks to COVID-19, mm-hmm. they just wait and no one comes and pets them. And it's so sad. But the zookeeper is like, come to the rescue and come give them love so that they'll be happy again. And it just totally warmed my heart. Because, yeah, I didn't think of what happens to, like, the animals in public spaces when there's no longer a public to go to those places. <laughs> That's true. So what's your can't even this week? So my can't even this week is actually something you told me about. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the day we record this is April 1st, and which is April Fool's Day. So Kalmbach Feed put out a, hel- a hilarious uh, April Fool's thing that says, introducing newest product. King Tiger Food, all natural, <laughs> balanced nutrition, dawn free. Which, if you've seen Tiger King uh, on Netflix, which I'm still, I'm like assigning Bev that homework. She needs to go watch <laughs> it with her husband. Um, I know you're not a TV fan, but trust me, you won't regret it. <laughs> or maybe you will, but then at least I'll have somebody <laughs> to talk to about it. <laughs> All right. So, Comeback Feed, we get our chicken feed from there. That's a, like the feed of our local uh, feed store for chickens. Um, so, I thought it was really funny that they did that when you pointed it out to me. And at first, I didn't get it until I saw the picture. And I'm like, oh, I see what they did there. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew that it referenced that because basically anything that has to do with tigers right now references the Tiger King. So I thought to myself, I should send this to Sam because she's going to get it. I don't get it, but she's going to get it. And other people that have watched this are going to get it. And I know a lot of our listeners have watched it. So, <laughs> Oh, boy. So if you have can't even share them in our Facebook group, you could send them to us via Facebook Messenger, Instagram, or email. And those are some things that we like to share in the mini-sodes. 
Yes. And be sure and leave us a review because every week we read our favorite Apple podcast review on the podcast. And at the end of the month, we pick a winner to get a super awesome mug. And we just redesigned the mug and I'm Mm -hmm. so excited about it. It's just slightly different. It's not like super different. And it's also being uh, professionally uh, manufactured now. So I think you guys are going to like it. I mean, I loved Sam's like personal touch on it, uh, but we needed to take some things off of our plates. So that was one of the things we did. And it's a pretty cool mug. So you want to get it. Yes. Uh, So we don't have a new review to read this week. But we are going to announce the winner. And last month's winner, or technically, I guess, March's winner, (laughs) is uh, Marina uh, Farming MRT. And she's from Canada. Guys, we're shipping international. So it doesn't matter what country you're in. Please leave your reviews. Marina will try to find you on Instagram. I'm guessing that's an Instagram handle. Um, If we can't find you, please reach out to us so we can get your address and send you your mug yes so we've got some housekeeping and announcements at this point i don't know i i don't think anybody's buying tickets to coop camp right now but we're still planning on going at this point until they tell us until they tell us not until they tell us not to we are still <laughs> planning on it yeah <laughs> so like if you're on the fence just keep saving your pennies <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because it does happen in June. So I'm holding out hope. I'm a very hopeful person. So mm-hmm. we're going to continue that hope. Um, and we'll have links in the show notes to buy tickets to Coop Camp. So you can join us when you find out, you know, that it's going to happen for sure. And hit the subscribe button and download the episode when you listen, because this helps more people like you find us. And do us a favor and share this episode over on Instagram in your stories and tag at Drink and Farm because we'll send you a promo code that's just good for that week that will give you percentage off in our shop. And make sure you take a look at the show notes to find links to the can't evens we discussed and other things like the mini sewed link, um, a survey to tell us how we're doing, and all of our social media goodness and merch. And this one was kind of a long one, guys, but we hope you enjoyed it. Yes. Thanks for sticking uh, out there, sticking in there. Sticking out there, sticking things (laughs) out and in. We're not allowed in the out right now. (laughs) It's making my brain a little weird. Thanks for sticking in there with us, guys, because it was a really, this has been an amazing episode. So I hope that you enjoyed the whole thing like I did. Yeah. And we hope that you're taking us with you when you're doing chores and things we know people aren't really you know commuting right now (laughs) but we would love to hang out with you while you do chores or if you just need a moment like an adult moment because your kids aren't going back to school this year just pop your headphones in we're here for you yes it's totally acceptable to put some headphones on hide in a closet and grab a box of cookies and a beer and enjoy yes (laughs) That sounds kind of nice, and I don't even have kids. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm kind of thinking about doing that, and my kids have been pretty good. So <laughs> it, it feels, it sounds safe and dark and warm and comforting. Yeah, like you could take a nap. <laughs> yeah. So until next time. Drink. Farm. And give zero clucks. Bye, guys. Bye. We drink things, we farm things. We drink and farm